I want to take the chance this morning to introduce you to a really special uh, couple uh, today. You um, may not know them because they attend the 360 service. So for those of you here in our 9 o'clock service and those of you that are in Birmingham, uh, we want you to have the opportunity to meet them and to hear a little bit of their story and actually what they're going to do today. So Matt and Brooke, if you guys would come up here. Uh, this is Matt and Brooke Eisen. And uh, we want to tell a little bit about their story and then ask them a, a few questions about what they are uh, going to be doing in just a few minutes today. Uh, Matt and Brooke met in June of 2008 and actually got married in October of that year. But um, since that point, uh, they've gone through a lot of struggles. Matt went to Iraq, uh, came back, uh, suffered some uh, problems because of the time in the war, got hooked on some different drugs, and actually was sort of in and out of jail and prison and really just went through a really rough time. In, in fact, there were times through that that uh, they had pretty much decided to give up on their marriage. Um, Brooke told me the other day that um, she actually served Matt uh, divorce papers twice. But there always was a glimpse. Matt, what happened with those divorce papers? Do you want to tell everybody? Well, I kept missing a signature somewhere. <laughs> Every time I sent them back, they'd say, well, you missed a signature. We're going to send them again. And I did the same thing the next time. So I, I don't know if it was probably two reasons. One, I didn't couldn't read that well, I guess. Or <laughs> the other one, I just didn't want to get divorced. <laughs> okay. So uh, then, then Brooke says she, she rides around with them in her car for a little while. And then... Um, <laughs> When one point, uh, uh, Matt gets out of jail, and uh, he's connected with our brother Hollywood, Joe Smith, and Joe's able to get him into the shed. And in the shed, you were invited to come to church here. So tell us about your experience when you came to church. I know you came the first time by yourself, and then how were you able to get Brooke to come? Uh, well, like you said, I it was a requirement to come to church uh, just just to you know, try to get us in a connection with the Lord, and because uh, I didn't, I didn't personally have one, and uh, it was just a blessing in my life that I was just given that nudge because it's what I needed. And when I got here, I loved man. People just loved on me, and I had not felt love like that, and it was just an amazing experience. So I instantly I called when I left. I called her and invited her to come to uh, church the next time with me and we started coming and our marriage was not good but we just started coming anyway and uh, <clears throat> ever since then Bryce has been growing in our marriage and our marriage has just been getting better and better so Brooke how, how did that work with you oh I was scared to death like I mean like Matt said our marriage was it was very very rocky and uh, we wanted to work on it but didn't know how and um, coming to church here, you know, was a really great stepping stone, you know, just getting us into the into a more godly atmosphere and, and bringing Christ into our life because we didn't have Christ in our life at the time. So that was a huge, a huge thing for us. It was a big turning point, just becoming members of the church. Yeah, I remember you guys being baptized and working through all this and then there was a special dinner, some people. Brooke, could you tell a little bit about that dinner yes. and who invited you and what changed that This happened? is the biggest turning point in our marriage. Um, Ed and Barbara Bice, which I'm sure most everybody here knows, invited us to come to dinner, um, and Matthew and I did not want to go. 
we were, <laughs> we had only been coming to church here for maybe a month or so, and it was like, oh, I don't know any of these people. I'm Who like, you know, I'm already like nervous about going here and everything. And so they invited us into their home, and what they did for us is that they invited um, four or five other married couples, and, um, you know, Tim and Sharon Lee were there, and um, Joy and Bob Gold, and um, Paris and Joe Donaldson. Joe and Will Martin, you know, and they really, they were able to sit with us and talk to us about, you know, the the experiences that they've had in their own marriage and the opportunities that they've had through this church to really work on their marriages, and it gave us a lot of hope, um, and it gave us somebody to actually go to and, and be able to talk to about things that were going on in our life, so that was a huge, it made us feel like we were part of this church. And, and we hadn't even become members yet. Like, we hadn't even gone through the 101 class or anything. So that's what gave us our, our nudge, another nudge. <laughs> but that was a huge turning point in our in our marriage. And Matt, so what what are you guys wanting to do today? Well, uh, we're wanting to uh, just come before God and renew our vows and uh, just have that covenant, uh, that covenant agreement and that covenant vows before God, before the Lord, and uh, just have Him lead our marriage and, and let our marriage let, be led by Christ instead of our selfish will and my selfish will, because I'm definitely very selfish. <laughs> most, <laughs> most of us could confess that. Uh, we preached a couple weeks ago about the idea of covenant, and that when you make your vows, that uh, old-fashioned biblical vows are vows that you first make to God and then to each other. And on Monday, I got a phone call from Matt because I'd said something about people just going down to the courthouse and getting married. He said, but I just can tell you, that was us, all right? And uh, we want to do our vows right. And so I, I said to Matt, I said, hey, man, we can do that anytime. You can come to our, my office or we can do it in church. And uh, Matt said, let me call Brooke. And he called back and said, uh, we want to do it in church. That's a good way to have a big wedding. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> good man. All right. So, in our 360 service, uh, they're not going to get to hear all this interview, but they're going to get to see Matt and Brooke renew and actually make the marriage covenant in front of the church. And so, um, man, let's give these guys a hand for the decision I will have to say this about Matt. He knows how to dress for a wedding ceremony. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, I didn't ask him to do that, I promise. But I was thankful and thank God for it. Thank you, Matt, very much. You know, if, if now at this point, if, if I had a chance to do their, their, their wedding and, and to give them some advice, uh, th there's some principles I would share with them. And, and I would share with you today. And, and the first principle, I think I've shared in every marriage ceremony I've ever been a part of, and I think this is really important, the best marriages are between best friends. I hope you're taking notes. I think you'll find something today that would be worth taking notes for. The best marriages are between best friends. When we go back to Genesis, guys, the purpose of marriage right from the beginning was companionship. I mean, God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I'll create a helpmeet, a helper, a companion to come to him. 
Now listen to me. That was a radical idea back in Genesis. Back in old ancient days, marriage was not looked at as a friendship. You know, a wife was quite frankly a piece of property. And and marriage was a financial arrangement to have financial security. You know, one thing we don't always get when we read through the Old Testament, we struggle with lots of the Old Testament, but sometimes we don't get how radically different things were among God's people than pagan nations among them. And one of the big differences is what's said right back there in Genesis is that marriage is a friendship that was radical in their day. And I would say to you today, I think it may still be radical in our day. Because in our day, we look at marriage as simply about romance and sex. That's you watch TV. That's what it's about. And to come in and now say, no, no, those are good things. You want that a part of your marriage, but the foundation of your marriage, the most important thing are not those things. It's a friendship. It's still radical today. And so understand this, that the best marriages are between best friends. You know, we even sometimes uh, allude to this in things we say. We say, you know, women marry for money or financial security and men marry for beauty. And there may be some truth in that. You know, so have you ever seen this couple, you know, maybe? I mean, she is drop-dead gorgeous, and he is really not that hot-looking. You ever seen that? And you think, and you even say, how did he get her? Well, let me tell you, he's got some money. That's how he got her, all right? <laughs> I'm sorry to expose some of you guys in here, but um, that, that's what may have happened. Because that, that's the way we sort of look at it, you know? But the deal is, it, it's not simply about the man finding beauty or the wife finding the money. What it needs to be, it needs to be about a friendship. Because the truth about money or looks, sorry to reveal this to you, is that they are going to fade. I mean, he may have the money, but you don't know. We certainly found out the last few years. What's going to happen to that retirement account? What's going to happen to those savings? So if you married him just for his money, you may be sadly disappointed. And if you married her just for her looks, listen, it all fades with all of us. And and the question is, do we have a foundation for a lasting marriage? And that foundation is friendship. And that's why it's so important that you put friendship first. And some of you that aren't married, and maybe you're, you're dating, that's what's really a big deal. That you don't get physical early in the relationship. Well, because you want to make sure that you have a great friendship. I, I see some couples, and I think the problem is it starts so physical so quickly that the honest truth is they don't know whether they're in love or in lust. And that's confusing. And so if you don't slow down and build the friendship first, you may get yourself into something that doesn't have a solid foundation. And so you've got to watch that. You know, the Bible says a lot about friendship and marriage. Proverbs 22, verse 17. Who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant they made before God? That's the covenant we're talking about with Matt and Brooke today. What's she saying? They forgot their companionship. The word there for companionship literally means their best friend, their special confidant. You see, what is a what is a good friend? How do you want to you want to know if you got a good friendship, whether it's a marriage or outside of marriage? Do you share your secrets? 
Do you share what's going on in your life? And that's what marriage is all about. And so what you want to do is make sure you build it on that foundation of friendship. And so if you're single and you're looking for somebody, be careful about that. Don't focus on so much how they look or how they kiss or what you might normally in a worldly viewpoint look at. Focus on do they listen? Do they care? Could I build a friendship with this person? You've heard me say this before. I've seen it over and over. You've got this couple that's dating. And they've been dating a long time. And it's obvious they can't stand each other. They argue all the time, and they can't break up. They try, and they always get back together. I'm telling you, I figured this one out. 90% of the time, they're having sex. And that's why they can't break up. And that's why God's wisdom is so much better than the wisdom of the world, where God says, save that to marriage. Right now, you start building the foundation of a good friendship, because the best marriages are between best friends. Now, here's the second principle. Our best friends make us better. That's what our best friends do. The book of Proverbs has more than any other book in the Bible about friendships. One thing the wise man says is better an open rebuke than love that is concealed. What's he saying? If you really want to know what a friend is, a friend's the person who's willing to point out your faults. Better open rebuke than the person whose love is concealed. I hear people say all the time is, you know, I know I need to confront this person. I need to say this. I know they're going down the wrong path. But we say something really foolish like this. I just love her too much. The truth, Proverbs says, is you don't really love her. You don't love him too much. You don't have love. Real love doesn't let their friend go to hell. So best marriages are between best friends who make each other better. If you become a Christian and your friends cut you off because you changed your life for the better, they really weren't your friends. I like on Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one friend help sharpens another friend. One friend sharpens another. Good friendships help each other become better. And then number three, here's where it all comes together. In marriage, God gives you a best friend to help you, to help make you better. That's one of the great purposes of marriage, is this friendship where you work on making each other better. I like what one preacher said, God didn't give us marriage so much to make us happy as he did to make us holy. Say that with me. God didn't give us marriage so much to make us, as to make us That's a huge difference. Now, let's go to our text this morning. Ephesians chapter 5. That's where we've been diving in in this series. And let's just look at a few verses that reveal that as Paul is giving the most specific instructions in the Bible on marriage. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave himself up for her to make her holy and clean Washed by the cleansing of God's word. Let's just stop right there. All right. Flip back there just a second. What's he saying here? Your love needs to reflect the love of Christ. How did Christ love the church? Did Christ love the church when she was lovable? Did Christ love the church when she was likable? Did Christ love the church because the church had won him over? No. Christ loved us when we were unlovable. And here's the next step. Not only did he love us when we were unlovable, he loves us to make us lovable. He begins to change us. 
There's that phrase in there about the washing of water, most translations say, with the word. Most people think that is somewhat of an allusion to Christian baptism, all right? Other writers also believe it's an allusion to Greek marriages. We're in a Greek marriage. It was the tradition that before the bride took her vows, she was taken to a sacred stream where she was washed and cleansed and prepared. And so he's saying part of what marriage is to do is it's to be that point of cleansing. And it's to make us, the key word here, holy. Now what does the word holy mean? The word holy means is to be set apart. Set apart. That's a great description of marriage. When you marry someone, you set them apart from anybody else. You say, besides my relationship with God... This is the most important relationship in my life. There is no other friendship, even my relationship with my parents. There is nobody else that comes before this relationship. It is holy. It is above. It is set apart. And so that's what he's describing here about marriage. In marriage, you take those sacred vows to set this person apart. So you're cleansed there. Now look at the next couple of verses. Verse 27. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. Not only was Jesus cleansing us, he was preparing us to present us. And in in marriage, not only do we help each other become holy, we help each other become prepared to be presented to God. You know, I've heard people say this, you know, when a couple comes up here and they look so perfect, you know, and everything's together, you know, some smart guys can say, that's the best you'll ever look in your life. It's all downhill from here, bud. That's what Paul is confronting. Paul's saying, if you have a Christian marriage, it's not all down here hill from here. This will not be the most beautiful moment in your life. Someone said, is there anything more beautiful than young love? Someone else responded, yes, it's old mature love. And so the goal in marriage is to present each other in Christ as better and as holy. And so what we want to say is, you may look really great today, but one day you're going to look a whole lot better. And God has given us marriage for that to happen. So let me just ask you guys that are married here today. It's a pretty, pretty strong question. Are you spiritual friends? Are you helping each other become better? Are you helping each other become holy? Are you helping each other get closer to Christ? I'm not saying that to guilt trip you. I'm saying that to shake you up. Because if you're not, you're missing out on one of the great purposes of marriage. Which is to give yourself a friendship that is so close and so intimate that you have the opportunity more than with anybody else on the earth to help that person become holy and better. Well, how do you do that? Well, let, me, let me give the last part of our lesson. And that's what I call three powerful tools. Three powerful tools. Now, let's just stop here for a moment before I move on here. Let me say this about this. These tools will work in a good friendship. So if you say, buddy, man, I'm checking out on you because I'm not married and I may, I may never be married. Let, let me tell you, what I'm about to share 
would apply to any friendship where you want to make each other better. It applies to the life of this church. Because here are three powerful tools. If you say, buddy, I really do want to establish that spiritual friendship. Oh, we've been married and we get along fairly well or maybe we don't get along at all. But, but here's what I'd, I'd like to do. I want my marriage to reflect Christ's love for the church. And so we're, we're going to become these spiritual friends. But frankly, that's foreign language to me. Some of you probably say, I don't even have a spiritual friendship, period. More or less a spiritual friendship in marriage. How do you do that? That's where these three tools are so important for you to learn. Three very important tools. Here's tool number one. Tool number one is the power of truth. It's about being willing to face the worst in each other. It's the power of truth. Famous scholar Kierkegaard said, Do you not know that there comes at midnight, a midnight when everybody has to throw off their mask? He says, in everybody's life, there's a moment where the mask is removed. Now, we read that, and I think, that sounds like Judgment Day. But it also sounds like marriage. Because marriage is something that removes the mask. You're finally in this relationship where you have such constant contact. No closer human relationship where your your flaws begin to be exposed and that's what happens early in marriage it's like this let's say you you see an older bridge it's a really beautiful bridge and everything looks good about the bridge but what you don't know is this older bridge has some some hairline flaws now you're not going to know that until that heavy truck drives across the bridge and exposes those fault lines. Now, don't take this wrong, but marriage is a Mack truck driving over your heart that exposes the fault lines. Because in other relationships, you can cover it up. But in marriage, it's exposed. And in marriage, then you have an opportunity to grow. Now, you could do what you do in other relationships when the fault lines are exposed. You could just run. Or, or, or you could say, you know what? It's her fault. It's his fault. I've never felt this way before. You know, the reason I feel so selfish, the reason I feel so sorry is because this person has caused it. And so here's what you could do is you could just, when these things are exposed, just trade it in for a different model. But here's what statistics say is that the odds of second, third, and fourth marriages making it go down, 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 down. Because the truth is, marriage is that Mack truck that's going to drive across that bridge. And it's going to expose the flaws, whether it's with this person or the next person. And the wise thing, if possible, is to settle down with that first person and say, let's go ahead and deal with this right now. And so it's a great opportunity to grow. Let's say you're a person that holds grudges. It's when somebody does you wrong, you hold on to it. You don't let it go. Well, guys, with everybody else in the world, you can walk away. But now you've got this person that you've got this lifetime commitment with, who's in close proximity every day. What do you do about it? You can live with those grudges the rest of your life and be absolutely miserable together and unforgiving, or you can learn to forgive. And maybe, just like Matt said a little while ago, and like I think almost any of us here could say, you know, when the Mack truck of marriage goes across your heart, you find out something you never dreamed about yourself. 
You're selfish. <laughs> Raise your hand if you discovered that marriage. All right? The rest of you are liars. Okay, you, um, you, you, you discovered that, all right? You, you, you're selfish. Now, here's the deal is, you can say, no, 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 I'm, I'm not selfish. It's his fault. It's her fault. Or you can go, you know what? Here's the chance for me to grow. Here's the chance for me to help her grow. Now, how do you use this tool? Okay, this is, this is a big one. How do you use the tool? Give your spouse the right to tell you what is wrong with you. I cannot believe I put that in the sermon. <laughs> I've been struggling with this last year. Buddy, why did you put that? She's sitting here. Give your spouse the right to tell you what is wrong with you. You need to get permission. If you, you know, it's just like having any kind of spiritual friendship. If you really want to grow in the Lord, you say, I give you permission to question me. I give you permission to look at my motives. I give you permission, if you see something in me that does not look like Jesus, that you will confront it. In marriage, guys, you've got to give that permission. That's, that's difficult. That, that truly is scary. At least want to cut this out of one service today. But you can't. Because that person has been put there to help you grow. And so be wide open. The Bible says, now when you do this, Ephesians 4.15, make sure you speak the truth in love. I know Stephanie and I got married, and the Mack truck went over our hearts, and some things were exposed about both of our lives. One of the healthiest things we did was give each other permission to ask any questions at any time we want to ask. We can't get defensive, we can't get mad, because we've seen those fault lines, and we know where they are. And she knows the consistent fault lines in my life, and I know the consistent fault lines in her life. And so you give each other permission to say, ask me about it. Early on, you get real defensive. You're like, would you ever stop asking me about it? No, you, you got to get over that. You just got to say, okay, I've proven I've got issues here. You've proven you've got issues here. And so from now on, we're able to ask each other those questions. So be honest. That's a great tool. Now, you want to balance that out with the next tool, which is the power of love, which is seeing the best in each other. Because let's be honest here, truth without love in your relationship could become destructive. Here's that person who finally sees every flaw in you. And they make it their job to point it out. You've even given them permission. That could be extremely destructive. In some marriages you see, people just destroy each other with their flaws. And that's why love is so important. Now, what is love? What is biblical love? Biblical love is seeking and seeing the best in each other. When you have agape love, it's not so much a feeling, an emotion, it's as much, it's a commitment that says, I want to seek the best in you. And I want to see the best in you. Why? Because this person has an incredible power over you. And your self-image. What determines your self-image? Your self-image is determined by your perception of the way the people closest to you look at you. That's what self-image is all about. Your perception, not necessarily how they do it, but your perception of how they look at you. If it's your parents, your self-image is determined by that. If it's your best friends, your self-image is determined by those significant others in your life and how you perceive them looking at you. That's why marriage is such a beautiful and yet dangerous thing. Because now you have this person who sees everything about you and sort of holds that self-image in their hand. And that's why biblically, what Jesus said about the church back there is I can see her as beautiful. I can see her as my bride. I can see her as spotless and blameless. And in marriage, the challenge of love is for us to be able to see that in each other. 
So here's the cool thing about this kind of love, is even when it's not evident, you can still see it. Uh, I love the story when Michelangelo sculpted that beautiful sculpture of David. It was just a block of marble. And Michelangelo, when someone asked him, how did you do it? He said, I could picture David in the marble. Then he said this, I just looked inside the marble and took away the bits that weren't David. Because that's what we're to do in each other's life. We are to look in this rough-hewn marble and we are to see what God sees. Because that's what's so awesome about Jesus. Is that Jesus could be around this crazy blabbermouth disciple named Peter, and yet Jesus could see him as a rock. That's what's amazing about you and my relationship with God. Listen to me. In Jesus, when he sees you, he knows all your flaws. He's seen it, man, even more than your spouse. But you know what he calls you? Redeemed. What he calls you is a saint. What he calls you, what he believes about you, is that you are perfect. In marriage, we are to take the same kind of love that God has, and we're to apply it to our spouse. Because this, your affirmation means more than anybody else's affirmation. The whole world may call you ugly, but if your spouse thinks you're beautiful, that's what you listen to. So, we've got to learn to express. Now, now in expressing, we've got to learn each other's love languages. Some of you study that. The, the, the truth is, we don't all interpret love the same way. Maybe someone's love language is affection. Someone's is gifts. Someone's is words of encouragement. I mean, you got all these. Someone's, you know, is just security. You got all these different love languages. Someone's is time. Okay, the, the deal is, most of us don't have the same love language. So we have to learn to express it. I, I, I like the story of an old preacher, R.C. Sproul, great preacher. And, and, and he said, him and his wife, it was like two radio stations, I mean, that were on the different frequency. He said, when it came to my birthday, what I really wanted is I wanted her to give me something that I, I wouldn't buy on my own. But she was very practically minded. And she knew I needed some white shirts to preach in. So she gave me seven crisp, clean white shirts. And he said, I didn't tell her, but I was really disappointed. And, and with her, I thought, you know, I'm a teacher, the way to really give gifts, you know. And so I went out and I bought her a fur coat. But she didn't like it. She wanted a new washer and dryer. He said, we just kept missing each other. And so as you begin to express this love, you need to look. Because here's what you do. You assume that your love language is your spouse's love language. And that's not necessarily true. Okay? So, here is how you use the tool. Tell your spouse the good that you see in them. Oh, you've seen the bad. She knows it. You know it. But make sure you express the good that you see in them. Not just that you see in them presently, there may not be much of that right now, but the good that you see that God could do in their life, who they could be by the power of the Spirit of God. Because listen to me, truth without love is destructive, but love without truth is powerless. You hear that? If you just have this first tool of truth, it can be destructive. But if all you have is love and all you ever do is point out the good parts and you never admit the bad parts, honestly, your compliments begin to be hollow. It's really powerless. 
The great compliments and encouragement and love that's expressed happens between two people who know the worst in each other but choose to look beyond that and in that old marble see a masterpiece. So love's a great tool. Let's go to the last tool that's so important. The last tool is the power of grace. And that's where we give each other security. Is I find out the truth about each other and we're working toward that ideal person that I express love about, how do we make it in between? I, I know he or she. I know I'm not who I ought to be. In fact, it's, it's a struggle. I, I know what I can see, but right now we're not living in the midst of perfection. What do we need here? This third tool is so important. It's grace. Now, what is grace? Grace is getting what you need, not what you deserve. It's giving what your spouse needs, not what they deserve. I was reading this week about how they take a gem, a precious gem, and they make it smooth and beautiful. They put them in a gem tumbler that just tumbles the gem so that they end up being smooth. But to, to make it really work, they have to put a special compound in there that makes the process work. Without the compound, the precious gems will either just bounce off each other with no effect, or they will shatter each other. But with this special compound, the gems begin to make each other smooth and beautiful. Listen to me. Grace is the special compound that allows us to become beautiful. There's got to be a lot of grace. Because the, the best marriages are going to be marriages where there's a lot of repentance and there's a lot of forgiveness and there's a lot of grace. And grace gives us the security to admit the worst things about ourselves. Grace gives us the power to be able to forgive. Well, how is that true? How do you, how do you get this tool of grace? You can't create it. Here's the only thing you can do. You can reflect it. I said, why are Christian marriages... Why should our marriages have so much more hope than anybody else's? Because here's what's happened. We have experienced the grace of God. God has loved me when I'm unlovable. God has forgiven me. God has done for me what I could not do for myself. He's given me unmerited favor. He's given me what I need, not what I deserve. And now here's the power. If I've received that from God, now I can reflect it with my spouse. And that's the special ingredient that between truth and love and the growth process of years and years and years of being transformed makes it possible. So how do you use this tool? Be quick to repent and forgive. In the atmosphere of grace, it's okay to say I blew it. My friends, if some of us would spend so much less time and energy defending ourselves, and when you know you're wrong, just go ahead and say you're wrong. I blew it the other day. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. I showed the wrong part. Just say it. There's room for repentance. Some of us, guys, our marriage can't make any progress because we're not willing to admit where we're weak. Repent and forgive. Marriages should be places where there's incredible forgiveness because the rule of thumb is we are to treat people the way God has treated us. And I'm telling you in my life, there is no one who's treated me worse in my life than I've treated God. And so there's room for grace and truth. So what are you saying here today about marriage, buddy? 
God has given you a best friend to make you better, to make you holy. What are the tools? True. Be honest with each other. Love. See the best in each other. Grace. Give each other some slack and forgiveness. So God doesn't say to that couple coming to the altar, this is the best you'll ever look. It's all downhill from here. God says, one day you'll be more beautiful than ever. One day these beautiful white dress you're wearing will look like dirty rags compared to who I'm going to make you. And one of the ways I'm going to make you different is through your marriage. So can I ask you married folks, do you have a spiritual friendship? Are you helping make each other holy? Are you using these tools? I ask as a church, can we not be the place where those things come together? A place of truth and love and grace. I love when I heard Matt talk about what he experienced here. He may not have known the words to say, but those are the words. He was, he was exposed as being a sinner, but he experienced people who loved him, who saw better in him, who saw the best in him, in a place of grace. And today, I want to say to each one of you here, you've come to a place of grace. You've come to a place of truth. You've come to a place of love. I mean, you, you, know, what, you know what holds our marriages back? You know what holds us back from being who we ought to be? It's nothing but pure arrogance. It's pride. It's that I can see your flaws, but I can't see my flaws. But see, in this atmosphere of grace, you're able to be honest about your own flaws. You're able to be forgiven. Now this morning, maybe you need some prayers about your marriage to use these tools. There'll be some people in the back ready to pray for you, all right? Or maybe today's the day where truth and love and grace come together in your life and you're ready to become a follower of Jesus. You're willing to repent today. You're willing to say, you know what? I have blown it. It's not right. But you're willing to hear the voice of Jesus that says, you know what? That's not what I see. I see who you can be in me. And here's what we're going to give you. We're not going to give you what you deserve. I don't want you to give me what I deserve. We're going to give each other grace. We're going to see the best in each other. We're going to love each other. And so there may be some of you today who need to come to this front row to become Christians, who need to come to the front row and confess, admit the truth about what you've done. Here's what I think I can promise you. You will not experience judgment. You will not experience condemnation. I can guarantee you in this church, you're going to experience love and grace. There's room for honesty. There's room for repentance. There's room for forgiveness. And today might be the day that you need that. That's why we're here. That's why we have this place. So if you need to get prayers for in your marriage or you need to come down front and just be honest with the church, why don't you do that right now while we stand together and sing?